Just a quick warning that we are probably going to be talking about abortion and existentialism and some death throughout this song. Um, so if you're not okay with that, then just skip these next couple episodes. Sparkling ring for every finger I'll put away and hide from you. Welcome to another episode of A Hopeless Endeavor. Uh, today we're talking about Esme. My Sweet name, Esme. Sweet Esme. My name is Sam. My name is Nikki. Welcome to the first part of our discussion. Yeah. Of this sweet, sweet, sweet song. This sweet, sweet song. And Nikki has a member of her family with this name. <laughs> yes, my little baby kitty cat who's not a baby anymore, but I love her so much. <laughs> uh, her name's Esme. And I named her after this song, also partially after the J.D. Salinger story that Sam has in her notes that we'll talk about in a second. And and this was before, too. This was before Have One On Me even came out. It was like when someone had posted something to YouTube and it was just like me and my friend, our, our mutual very good friend, Alicia, would just like replay this YouTube video all the time and like learn <laughs> the words to Esme from this like one live performance that just That's happened to make it on the internet. Very on brand <laughs> <laughs> for you, for sure. Uh, I asked for help on Instagram too for people's thoughts and feelings. And someone else wrote and said uh, that they also named their cat Sweet Esme. That was like a really lovely interpretation okay so where did we want to start today let's wait i see at the top of your note sam you have the pronunciation question mm, let's yep. just get this out of the way because i'm 100 percent gonna lapse into saying esme yeah even though i think that the proper way of pronouncing the name is esme like two syllables esme yes. as opposed to esame but because of the way she sings it we, as Joanna Newsom fans, just get used to pronouncing it with the three syllables. So I'm yes. sure that I'm going to be saying Esme. Yeah. And I, like I said this, Nikki, earlier, I think that um, it's elongated in the song just to make it um, more interesting to sing. And I do lapse into saying Esme more than Esme. Um, but, you know, forgive us. Either way, we'll do our best. <laughs> Is there? Do you have the vinyl in front of you, Sam? Oh, I don't. No, it, I don't think there's an accent on the last e in the Joanna stuff. I, I don't, don't think. think so. Interesting. No, there's nothing on here. Yeah. Okay. Which is interesting, think. and I wonder if that just like is because it's uh, assuming this song is after a baby of her friend, and they decided not to include an accent. Mm, mm-hmm. Um. Um. Uh, so Esme is, um, from Old French, the verb Esme, to esteem, meaning to love Mm. or esteemed. Um, the name Aime, meaning beloved, equivalent to the modern feminine first name Amy, was originally a masculine name. Oh, interesting. Esme had become a feminine name by the mid-20th century. The name was first popularized by Esme Stewart, the first Duke of Lennox, who died in 1583. Um, uh, Has always been like a super popular baby name. Um, It's also used as a short form for the Spanish feminine name Esmeralda, meaning emerald, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But that's all I have for the actual name itself. Nikki's cat and <laughs> Joanna's friend's baby and this duke. <laughs> so have you read something that says it's Joanna's friend's baby? Or are you just taking the context of the song? I'm totally just taking the context of the song. Okay, Specifically okay. Um, because of the references to 
uh, the boat. I saw you rowing, watching you and your mama row in, mm-hmm. um, that there were people crowding around to see the baby. My assumption for this song that it was like either someone in her family had recently had a baby mm-hmm. or her very close friend group because it seems like the amount of attention that is uh, given to this baby is like exceptional and yes. um you know really special and the first it's like you know the first of your friends to have a baby gets a lot of attention right i see yeah 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 totally um i very much agree that yeah in the context of the song i, I had seen somewhere someone say uh that it's like Joanna's friend's baby, which made me think that there might have been an interview where she said it was her oh. and not the narrator's friend. But I but I couldn't find any sources where she's talking about Esme. So I think that maybe maybe they just mean like the narrator's friend. But um yeah, I agree. It's uh someone else is the mama of this baby in a song and it's a sweet little baby. <laughs> yeah, and someone that our narrator is close enough to that immediately it's like this magical thing um, yeah this magical special like incredible thing that you want to be a part of yes so yeah like for me if this is if we're not necessarily basing it on like a friend of joanna newsom but rather just like a friend of the narrator then i feel more uh like excited about speculating about the choice of the name esme Mm. um just because then it just seems more you know, less grounded or whatever, more uh, poet poetic. What do you call it? License? Yeah, more poetic license. Yeah. And I didn't to- like Google who was Joanna Newsom's friend who had a baby named Esme. <laughs> like that, I'm not interested in that part of it really at all. Yeah, right. Of course. So um, that's cool that you brought up the um, M.A., like, to love. Mm-hmm. I I hadn't seen that or thought of it. And it does sound a lot like Esme, Amy. Yeah. Kind of like a mix of both Esme to esteem and Amy. Uh, yeah, right. Right. Which like fits in with, I feel like the role of this baby in the song too. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, okay. What else did I want to say? I just wanted to remind us of this, um, incredible post by Corey and Lise on the Facebook group. Um, it was Corey's theory. And I know we've mentioned it before that, um, this song specifically, uh, Esme falls into the category of songs that seem to be from the point of view of the main narrator versus more meta- metaphorical stories like mm-hmm. have it on me you and me best and go long um and i agree with that very much it seems to be a little bit more um first person than the others yeah um like and less of also, an allegory yeah exactly yeah right. um which also makes it really hard to research um because <laughs> yes. i know we said this to each other like and we've said this a million times before we sit down to record that, like, I don't know. I don't have very many notes for this. I think it's going to be <laughs> a short episode because <laughs> this song is, I feel like, more, much more than any others we've talked about. It's very much just at face value. And maybe I'm wrong again and we'll talk about it for six <laughs> hours. But, like, I don't know. Feels like it's going to be a short conversation, but we're unreliable. Yeah. On that part, so <laughs> very <separate>. much. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah. But thanks again for that, uh, Corey and Lee's. I think mm-hmm. that's like a, a really interesting point to make. We also had just a quick email from Nyla, who I know we've talked about, has written in before and we've mentioned um, some of their thoughts. Um, and Nyla just said, occasionally in live performances, Miss Newsom will say the wagging ghost tail of a bulldog instead of the wagging bobbed tail of a bulldog fancy that i found it interesting that one focuses on what's been removed and one focuses on what remains um and i love that comment because i think that's there's a lot of um reflection on that dichotomy between what's been lost and what has been given in this song as well yeah that's really really interesting Mm mm-hmm I definitely hadn't noticed that. And also just like the contrast of the focus on what's been lost versus what remains. 
Yeah. So thank you for that, Nyla. I really liked that one a lot. Yeah. Um, okay. There was one thing I wanted to read uh, from Reddit. So this was not Mm. me soliciting anybody's opinion. It was just like a search under the Joanna Newsom um, subreddit for Esme. And we'll talk about this in more detail later, but I just wanted to maybe quickly read this um, uh, little entry. So this is by Alda Abe's Music. um, And I know we've read something from them before, but they say... Uh, I never realized that there was a connection to be drawn between Esme and Baby Birch, both songs about baby girls. When I started thinking about them together, it opened up a new way of considering the broader arc of the album. In Baby Birch, I believe that in part, the song is a reckoning with the human capacity for cruelty or the ways in which we sacrifice bits of ourselves for the sake of someone else. Um, I could talk to no end about Baby Birch. Um Never mind. Uh, now thinking through Baby Rich in that way and then tying it to Esme, a song in which though through this baby, she is able to d- rediscover a sense of hope or belief that the bad times will eventually end. For me, it heightens the meaning of both. For me, it seems clear that the narrator is thinking about herself through the figures of these babies, where in Baby Birch, the the baby symbolizes so many tragic things, lost potential, the bits of herself that she's given up for the sake of another. Whereas in Esme, she symbolizes new hope and a steadfast belief that ultimately kindness prevails. Um, So I thought that was really, really interesting. And we touched a little bit um, in Baby Birch about sort of like the narrator personifying isn't the right word, but like identifying herself in the baby in question in that song. And so I think it's interesting to to do that here too. And then obviously for the sake of contrasting the two songs. So thank you very much for that. um, Alda Abe's music. (laughs) Yeah. And I think I agree very much with that. Like before I had, you know, stepped with both feet into the analysis of this album that I didn't think so much about how important Baby Birch was to this song. Um, but I do very much agree with like the Baby Birch h- highlighting the more cruel aspects of like humanity and relationships in general. And Esme being a little bit more of the hopeful, future thinking, bright side of things. Right. Exactly. Esme, like, really, I think that the fact that it comes right after Softest Chalk is so important because at mm-hmm. the end of Softest Chalk, we get this, like, she's waiting at the carousel for her bags and she has to get going. Like, she's, like, leaving this relationship in a way that we haven't seen before, I think. And Esme comes right after where, like, all of a sudden we get this, like, this, I think, truly different perspective from anything that we've seen at before on any of the songs on Have One On Me. Like I was trying to think of a song that was this sort of unabashedly, I don't want to say optimistic necessarily, but like forward thinking maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like 81, I think is the closest that comes to being like an uplifting song. But even then it's like, I don't know. This song just has a different vibe. It has like a very, I mean, hence the I can feel a difference maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It very much like I had written on my notes at the top here, like trying to define some of the major themes and like hopefulness was one of them. Yes. Um, Optimism, future thinking, like reconciliation uh, as compared to uh, our relationship with like babies in general in baby birch um yeah it's very sweet it is very sweet and it like i mean we'll get to it i think that um that some of the people that we've been reading so far have sort of been saying this or pointing towards this that like it feels like she's like using this experience the narrator is using this experience of having her friend have a baby as this like renewal of herself. It's like a, it's like a birth yeah. for her as well, you know? Yeah. And in like a very sad way too. like, 
Not necessarily sad. I take that back. In like a very introspective way. Like this is something that I... I'm choosing my words carefully. I (laughs) chose not to do, but it's something that like I see as possible now. Like this wasn't right for me at the time, but maybe it will be again one day. Yes. Um, And like, it's just a beautiful thing. Like, yeah. Regardless of like who it belongs to, you know, like it's just a beautiful thing. Um. And I think just being a part of that or being privy to that, I guess, like even if she isn't a part of it, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it just gives her this new, like almost like something new to focus on. Like, you know, how sometimes when you're in a fucking rut, like you don't realize that like the thing you need is just like a distraction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It sort of feels, it's like this distraction ended up having this like deep and meaningful significance to the narrator or something. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I very much agree with that. It's like a, a light in the darkness because, you know, the rest of this album hasn't, <laughs> hasn't, hasn't had much of that. No. Um, any other preliminary notes? Um, I just had a few things to say about the J.D. Salinger oh, yes. story, short story for yes. Esme with Love and Squalor. I know that you love this one very much. Love it. Um. So it, there's not really like a lot to the story itself. It's about um, an American soldier who's like uh, doing a training program in England. Um, he goes to lunch one day and meets uh, siblings, uh, Esme, who's 13 years old, and then her younger brother, Charles. Um, Esme's like a very precocious young girl, and she like comes up to his table And they sit and have, like, tea together. Um, They exchange addresses, and she writes him a letter um, later on um, near the end of the war. Um, And I just had a few parts of that story, Um, specifically, like, the descriptions of Esme that I like to keep in mind while I'm listening to the song. Mm. So... In the beginning of the story, the soldier goes, he hears like that a choir practice is happening, a children's choir practice. So he sits down in the church where this is happening and uh, the narrator describes it like this. Um, Listening, I scanned all the children's faces, but watched one in particular, that of the child nearest me on the end seat in the first row. She was about 13 with straight ash blonde hair of earlobe length, an exquisite forehead and blase eyes that I thought might very possibly have counted the house. Her voice was distinctly separate from the other children's voices and not just because she was seated nearest me. It had the best upper register, the sweetest sounding, the surest, and it automatically led the way. The young lady, however, seemed slightly bored with her own singing ability, or perhaps with the time and place, twice between verses, I saw her yawn. It was a ladylike yawn, a closed mouth yawn, but you couldn't miss it. Miss it. Her nostril wings gave her away. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love Judy Salinger. Um, but yeah, oh my God, totally, son. That's such a good one to point out, the sweet sounding voice. And that like she has... A confidence and like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, everything is connected as for always. (laughs) Like, there's a reason that the name of this baby is Esme. There's a reason that like, we have this description in the story of what she might be like. Um, And I also really love that she, like, the the character in the story has this confidence about her. And this like precociousness, this ability to speak to adults. Yeah. yeah, and I just love imagining this character as who we're singing about as a baby and that maybe, you know, maybe Aww. she grows up to be this, like, very smart, quick-witted kid. I um, love that. Um, yeah. I, I also, it's, it's a lovely short story, and it's online if you want to read it. Just Google it. it um, in the description that you had read, too, I loved the detail that she... Esme in this story has like the best upper register because some yeah. of the notes that Joanne is hitting in this song are just like, whew, I can't yeah. do that. <laughs> I cannot do that. Yeah. Um, if I remember to um, like part of the, it's been at least seven years since I've read the story, but 
um, if I rem- remember correctly, part of the uh, part of this story at least involves like this. So the guy is like a soldier, right? And mm-hmm. I feel like he's sort of um, what's the word? Like jaded and just like whatever war Despondent. does to you, right? Yeah, like yeah. just real depressed and like traumatized. I'm sure. Um, and so he's like coming in with this particular mindset. And he has this interaction with these kids, with Esme in particular. And the effect of that interaction, uh, at least from what I gather, is like sort of a similar uplifting. Like there's a certain lightness that's involved when interacting with kids that like you forget about when you're in the trenches of whatever it may be, depression or war or whatever. And... Oh, I just thought that she uses the description of her heart as a warring, a warring heart later in yeah. this song. That's interesting. Yeah, that's a great connection. I hadn't thought of that. So, yeah. And then, like, this interaction just, like, shows you that the world can be light and, like, full of joy again and, like, <laughs> captivating in a way that you, like, have sort of forgotten about yourself when you've been in the trenches of whatever you're, you're into. So I love that parallel as well. Yeah, that it's a little bit of light. Um and like lets a little because it's a it's a little bit lighter than whatever else has been going on in your life that it allows a little bit more introspection and a little bit more future thinking than yeah. um you might be able to process like while in the depths of the shit. Yeah. Um okay, the only other thing I wanted to mention about this story was about change. Um, uh, so Esme asks the narrator, the soldier to write her a story, um, and asks him, are you at all acquainted with squalor? Which I think is notable, um, considering where we've come from in this album, um, the heartbreak and the tragedy and like the depth of emotion that we've come from, which is something that I think is also likely um, experienced by Esme in the story because it, it mentions both her parents have died. She's like living with her aunt. She has this lovely little brother, but like it's not 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 easygoing times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the only other part I wanted to read was, um, I believe this is at the end. Uh, this is the squalid or moving part of the story, and the scene changes. The people change too. I'm still around, but from here on in, for reasons I'm not at liberty to disclose, I've disguised myself so cunningly that even the cleverest reader will fail to recognize me. Um, Sorry, is that, that's part of the story that he has written for her, what you just read? I believe so. Let me double check. Okay. For Esme. So it's when, it's after they've had tea together. Um... And Esme says, goodbye, I hope you return from the war with all your faculties intact. (laughs) Um, And then it's the narrator highlighting that, like, his meeting with her was the moving part of the story. Mm. And from here forward, the scene changes, the people change. Um, And it's just kind of like a really strange narration, too. Like... It's an interesting thing to point out in your writing that, like, the scene's changing. (laughs) Yeah, we would know that if we kept reading forward. (laughs) Yeah. I love, I love that idea that the narrator is telling us, the reader, Mm -hmm. that, like, look, I've disguised myself now. So, like, whoever, like, I'm in here, but you're not going to recognize me. It makes me be like, are you Esme? Like, who are you? Who have you changed into? Yeah. And just the general idea of change that like um we've come from a place of uh darkness and we're moving towards something different maybe even just for a moment i think is important yeah the like again yeah totally sam like the beginning of the song is i can feel a difference like yeah something has changed um yeah that shift is i think really important in this song yeah i think so too yeah, yeah. Oh, you just got me so excited about J.D. Salinger again. I just love that guy <laughs> so much. Or I'm his glad. writing. Not him as a person. I don't know much about yeah. him as a person. <laughs> <Never> anyway. <do> <laughs> okay. 
Oh, also just the idea, sorry, just the idea that this, the title of the short story is for Esme with Love and Squalor. Mm. Um, so I think that that refers to like the story that he writes for her, right? The story is going to have both Love and Squalor in it. But mm-hmm. I, I love like the themes of our Esme song. Uh, very much deals with both love and squalor. So even though it's a very uplifting song, um, there's still lots of references throughout of this being like a terrible world with lots of hardships in it. And, you know, the rain is coming down uh, throughout the song. So I love that like both components of love and squalor are kind of interwoven into the song as well. Yeah, it's not like like, we keep saying it's the shift shift towards lightness or brightness or something like that. But it's not as if our narrator is putting blinders on and is like ignoring everything else that's going on. It is just like, you know, the crack of a door lets a little light in and we're able to see our way out. But we're not um, we're not letting go or we're not being like unrealistic in our expectations for the future. We're still very much like shit's still awful. (laughs) <laughs> but there can be these tiny moments of good. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's important, I think. It's not like self-deception. It's like genuine yeah. hope, genuine optimism in the face yeah. of darkness. <sighs> okay. Okay. Do we start with the actual lyrics? Yeah. Okay, I will let you sing. I mean, not sing. I mean, if you want to sing, you can absolutely sing. Uh, That's a bit much. That's a bit much. Okay. And she sings. I can feel a difference. Today a difference. All of us in our tents, fearing God like a mistress. Hmm. All right. (laughs) (laughs) so the difference part we've talked a little bit about right the difference just in perspective or in like where her headspace is at i'm assuming yeah um the note i have is just like like we've said a hundred times already like there's a shift there's some hope Uh, this pure and good thing has happened uh to someone close to me it's not identified who, but like from this thing, I'm able to see that like, oh, okay, good things do happen. Like it's not, it's not all awful. And like birth in itself is like a crazy, ridiculous thing, as I'm sure <laughs> you contemplate constantly. <laughs> I sure do. Oh my but, God. Like wild, a wild thing. <laughs> a wild thing. Like this wildly painful, excruciating thing from which something really beautiful emerges. And I think those mm-hmm. are that's an interesting parallel too, is that there has to be this excruciating pain involved. Yeah. And at this point, our narrator isn't doing the excruciating part, no. right? Like mm-hmm. our narrator is like me, who's just like, wow, <laughs> like look at all these crazy things that are happening. And like, oh my God. But um do you know, do you have a theory about why they're intense? I don't. I just ha- was like, <laughs> like <laughs> apocalyptic brain was like, are they just like camped out waiting for something? Are they like waiting for the world to end? Were we like hanging on the end of a string, like waiting for the meteor meteor to hit and like take <laughs> us all out? And then this baby happens. I'm just like, oh, like it's not so bad. Yeah, I don't know. I don't Do know. You? No, I don't have a theory. Um, all I noticed was that they're intense right now. And then in a couple of verses from now, she goes to bed, to her bed all alone in the branches. So I'm like, are they camping? Is it like an outdoor birth, like an unassisted birth in a tent or by a lake or something? Like, I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. This could all be symbolism that I don't understand to you. I wonder if it has something to do with like the the word i'm looking for non-permanence of a tent Mm. like a tent is something you stay in for like you know not forever right um i like that i don't know that like either the the goodness or the badness 
of all of this is impermanent and or like the fearing of God is impermanent. Um, I like this as a theory very much, the impermanent stuff. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it's the best that uh, I've heard or can think of. So uh, stamp of approval. Oh, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we'll see. Um, Oh, also, just in case there are grammar people who are interested, um, there's a colon after Mm. today, a difference, colon, all of us in our tents fearing God's like a mistress. I wonder if there's something in the Bible that we're missing about tents. Ooh. Yeah. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 1, for we know that if the tent that are, is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Hmm. And that, again, that just speaks to impermanence to me that like life on earth is impermanent. But, you know, if you believe in that, you have a home with God, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, now that you bring the Bible into the picture, I'm thinking of like um, Jesus being born in a manger and people sure. having to like camp out to come see him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't fucking know. I don't <laughs> even just like, you know, if you're someone who's having a baby, uh, your friends might come stay with you to support you through that or mm-hmm. after the birth, like tent as in like we're sleeping on the floor, on the couch. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, for sure a, I mean, speaking to the all of us part of this verse, I think that for sure, that's too confident, I think that probably a theme of this song is also to do with community and, like, the strength that you can get from community. And so, yeah, I really like the idea of just, um, yeah, even if it's impermanent, referencing this, like, this, life-giving, life-celebrating gathering of people that have come to, like, uh, celebrate this one thing, but I think also provide this, like, separate purpose of of uplifting, you know, one of the members of the gatherers. Yeah, I really like that. Um, and, you know, if my theory is that, like, this is the first baby of a community like that, then for sure people would come out to, you know, even just stand in awe at, <laughs> yeah. at what's happening. Yeah. Were you showing me your bicep just there? Oh, no. I'm just scratching. <laughs> <laughs> the strength. <laughs> the strength of the community. <laughs> um, why are they fearing God, do you think? I don't know. Uh, I did note that, like, at least on official Joanna Newsom lyrics, God is not capitalized. I don't yeah. remember if uh, in other instances instances in this album, if it is, I don't think it is ever, is it? I don't know. That's a good question. I'm just going to check because um, I had mentioned before that I think it's important that this song comes after Softest Chalk. So I'm just going to check. Hey, in yeah. Softest Chalk, it is capitalized interesting so interesting very interesting i glare and nod like the character god and god is capitalized at least according again to john and i don't have the actual that makes me want to assume then that our narrator leans on this experience of god as having more power in the dark times than in the lighter times. Like, if we're capitalizing God, to me, that signals some kind of authority and, like, a naming of something. Mm-hmm. And in my assumption, which could very well be <laughs> wrong, um, if it's not capitalized, then it's less of, like... um a named thing and more of just like an idea. Yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> no, I, I like that too, that it's more of a general. So like in softest chalk, she glares and nods like this specific character, God that she's picturing. Yeah. Whereas here she's fearing God, like a mistress, like it could be, I mean, I'm stumbling over this explanation a bit, but it could be just more of like a, 
um, existential thing, right? Like fearing mm-hmm. life like a mistress or fearing like the universe like a mistress and just sort of using God as a a symbol for all of that mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, um, I like that. I also just love the comparison of the way that you'd fear God like a mistress might fear God. Yeah, yeah. It kind of makes me think too of, um, I mean, maybe she has mistresses on the brain the narrator because of uh, the infidelity of her partner in uh, especially like Go Long, but also just hinted towards throughout. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Makes me think of Bluebeard and how um, he would have acted like a God character in that castle, in that house and how the many brides, would have feared him surely, if not immediately, then definitely after um, finding out what happened to their predecessors. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I. It's also interesting that it's fearing God like a mistress rather than like fearing God like an adulterer, right? Like mm-hmm. what is the, like it's again this like, it's placing the blame on the woman involved instead of, the person who's actually committing the sin in this yeah. hypothetical situation. Uh, although I guess it probably is a sin, right? Isn't one of the commandments like don't covet your neighbor's wife or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, never never mind. Never mind that thought then. Um okay, what else did I want to say? Um that fearing God might not necessarily refer directly to the specific feeling of fear, but could reference like, and this is just me weaving it into my narrative of this story, like a sense of awe or reverence, um, honor, worship, confidence, thankfulness, love, adoration, like all of these things that are big feelings like fear is, but are not necessarily um directly that yeah like not necessarily like the kind of fearing that she was afraid of that when the bear woke her up in the night but rather like this like anticipatory kind of fear Mm -hmm. yeah 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 which I would imagine you would feel um (laughs) I feel like (laughs) we're gonna talk a lot about babies (laughs) I'm so down (laughs) I have babies on the brain all the time right now yeah for sure but that must also be like a scary thing too oh it's terrifying it is (laughs) completely terrifying yeah uh yeah I mean the change of it the experience of the birthing of it the like colossal um like it feels like it's like a really impactful thing like at least for me when I'm picturing having my little baby I'm like oh my god that's a whole life that's a whole human life that like I can fuck up real easy if I like don't attend to it crying at night or something like you know there's just like a million different worries that like oh my god like yeah it's a huge thing and it's full of fear I think it's a very very scary thing uh but yeah a different kind of fear than cowering in the night um with my light you know yeah that's a different thing yeah that's a good point I don't have anything else for this verse nope me neither okay and then she so sweetly sings we lay on the rocks in the sun watching you and your mama row in I sat up and blinked when you appeared so pale you were nearly clear exclamation mark (sighs) um off the top of my head makes me think of um the runaway bunny just in the description Mm. of um (gasps) pale oh yes Um, Uh, oh shit i didn't think of that i didn't either until you read it um i'm just gonna look at the description here As slick as a knife and as pale as a candlestick, which is like a wild comparison to make and gives me shivers. Yeah. Um, Oh, I think you're totally right, though. I think that that 
that that comparison's really apt and uh, it, probably important. Um, oh, and dark. And dark and like so interesting that w- we were not <laughs> writing this, but like the use of pale can represent both life and unaliveness. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is super interesting too. The color that babies are when they first come out, like totally is pale because they've never seen light. They've never seen the sun, but also the paleness of death. Uh, and mimic blue. each other. Yeah. Blue is used as a descriptor in both too. Um, unsung and blue. And then if you're if ever feeling blue, if you are blue. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um. Oh, ugh. interesting. Okay. <laughs> um. The other pale reference I was thinking too, which actually, so let me just tell you the reference I had in mind, and then the thought that yeah. comes after. Um, getting ahead of myself. So, uh, in no provenance, when she says, uh, she doesn't use the word pale. I don't think, but she says the word that I can never pronounce, but. The faultlessly etiolated fish belly face. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look up etiolated, um, it the first word that comes up as a definition for etiolated is uh, pale. And um, in no provenance, the thing that she's describing as pale is the face of this horse, this, this face of the like ghost, the muzzle of a ghost. Um, and if you remember all the way back to no provenance where we had sort of, uh, theorized that maybe or speculated that maybe the horse in that song is like an embodiment of herself, this like part of herself that she had been stifling that had, had woken up. And so the thought that I had, in relation to Esme or like the way that I thought that that might connect is that um, uh, it's maybe a significant or like symbolizes some kind of rebirth for that narrator's identity too. So she sees and recognizes and is acquainted with this paleness in the baby um, having been born. And rather than it being this like deathly sickly paleness, maybe she's then able to like recognize that paleness of the horse or of herself as potential rather than death. Um, you know, as like a way to, I don't know, invite this new experience in the same way as the baby is. I love that. I love that framing of it as a change of perspective and that same similar shift from, uh, you know, the world is ending to like, Oh, Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe it still is, but like, I don't know, can smile while doing it. Um, so pale you were nearly clear is such an interesting description too, hey? Mm-hmm. Um, um, it made me think of pale as a pearl and soft as chalk as well. Uh, like the reference to, I think we said like the sunrise. Um... And I love the line, I sat up and blinked when you appeared. Like, this baby was so pale and so bright that, like, you have to, you know, the image I get is, like, you shielding your eyes from the sun Mm. to, um, I don't know, kind of bring into focus this this little baby. Oh, that's interesting. I I think the image I was thinking of is, like, how do I describe this? Like, sitting up and, like, blinking almost to like get the sleep out of your eye or like to like try Mm. to like focus like like in this like very like reawakening way where you're just like oh shit something really important is happening and like I need to tune into that rather than like reeling over the shit that I've been reeling about but I I I like both interpretations yeah I like yours because you know a line before we were laying on the rocks in the sun and then all of a sudden, wow, like there's this baby here <laughs> and this this baby is so bright and so big and so bold and all of those things that it's like, it would be a shocking thing. Yeah. Um, 
and that like you know the this great sense of responsibility all of a sudden exists which i'm sure we'll touch on later yeah but like yeah that it would be like a shocking kind of like almost out of body experience yeah and just like on either interpretation just the like readjusting your sights like Mm -hmm. readjusting and being like oh shit there's this new thing this like important new thing that I can like I I can look at and that can be really moving um yeah I don't know and attention calling for sure like it draws your attention and I'm sure the birth of a child yeah real hard to ignore and that's what I wanted to assume was the watching you and your mama row in that like the rowing in was some kind of symbolism for like the effort put mm-hmm. forth in birth and or pregnancy um like the laboring yeah. yeah yeah i really like that the so i i have this like really half baked thought about this line but it it makes me think of occident because remember how in occident our narrator was like by the shore and we had mm-hmm. the image of like the ships yes. Um, and she was so afraid. She was like, oh, my God, these ships are death. And, like, the death is coming to get you. Mm-hmm. And I'm real anxious about it. And it's dark and it's scary. And it was just still her being on the shore and anticipating these ships coming in. And now we have another image of her being on some kind of shore, uh, presumably, given that she's watching the um, baby and the mama row in. But instead of it being like death, it's the opposite, right? It's birth, which is this, I mean, obviously an analog to like the other kind of ship that we saw in Occident, but it's the narrator being in like a very similar position, but but getting something different from that water that before was really scary and threatening to her. And I just sort of like that, that there's this um, this contrast between the life and the death that um, can both sort of arise from the same experience of being alive. Uh, I don't know. No, I love that. I love that it's a reframing of, like, you know, we talked about water for <laughs> water and ships and whatever forever in our ease episodes. And like to reframe that a little bit is really, really cool and really interesting. Um, and it also provides us like, like a a few different perspectives on the symbolism that we've seen throughout all of this music, all of her music. It's like, if you like a, like a prism, if you turn yourself a little bit, the light reflects somewhere else and you're able to see it from another perspective. I really like that um, specifically in reference to like boats and water mm. um, and these things we've talked about endlessly. <laughs> Super interesting. Actually, and now that we're having this conversation, I also think that water in this way, maybe we'll get to it. But I think in divers, um, in particular, I'm thinking of time as a symptom. Mm-hmm. I think that water has this uh, this function of separating life from what happens after we die. Mm. And so thinking about it in the context of that and Occident and Esme now, we get like water as being this transitionary point. Um, uh, So like the baby and the mama are coming in from elsewhere, from like this like point that we don't have access to, to come like live earth with all of us doing our stuff and building our shit on the seashore. Yeah. Yeah. and then the death like brings the person away like across the water again to this place that we don't have access to. So it brings me back to like, I mean, a little bit of um, Melissa Martirano from Blessing All the Birds discussion about how women just don't have access to the water. But I think in this case, mm-hmm. it's like humans don't have access uh, unless we're going through this transition of like birth and death. And actually both those transitionary periods are really painful. So again, in Divers, she talks about, she asks the question, why is the pain of birth lighter born than the pain of death? Like both are really sort of similarly painful, but one we just sort of forget about. And so there seems to be maybe something like that maybe happening here, maybe. 
In all of that, too, I really like that the line is watching you and your mama, Rowan. Like, this is a collaborative process. Yeah. It's not just the mother bringing the baby into this world. Like, the baby has some agency here. Uh, and maybe not, but, like, it seems like the way we're positioning them is, like, as a team. Um, yeah. And they're coming Earthside together. Yeah. Which is just, like, a really lovely lovely way to think of it super lovely way to think of it yeah i really really love that <sighs> wherever the other side is you get pale <laughs> you get pale yeah. when you go across the water whether it be because you died or if you're coming from across the water you're gonna deliver you get delivered to us as pale yeah hmm. i like this verse now more after we talked about it <laughs> Yeah, we're going to step right into the, we don't have anything to say. <laughs> yeah, we're like almost an hour into recording now and uh, second verse down pat. So I think it's gonna, Okay. Yeah. All right. I have no notes for the next, <laughs> for the next verse. Okay. So she sings. Later, I stumbled to my bed all alone in the branches. I laid in the dark thinking about all my friends and their changes. And I have no notes, I think, because this is one of the most relatable verses <laughs> of all time. <laughs> of all time. <laughs> <laughs> that we've approached so far for me. <laughs> Laying in bed and, like, just the thinking about shit is so relatable. Mm -hmm. Like, not only, like... The thoughts of anxiety where you're thinking about, like, your third grade science project <laughs> and what you've done wrong or, like, the conversation you had or, like, the glass you broke at dinner the other week or whatever. But, like, sitting in bed and thinking about all the shit that's happening with you and the people you love is, like, a very relatable and a very um, applicable thing. And I think would be... Uh, just so realistic when you're processing like the birth that your friend has just had and like the birth that you chose not to have that you decided against that yeah. didn't didn't work in the moment um it's just like a really um it seems like something that's easy to grasp for me yeah that like you would be processing all of this um, the branches, I don't really, I don't get it, but like that, that this is something that you're thinking about, uh, deeply makes sense to me. <clears throat> yeah, me too. That part for sure makes sense to me. And yeah, like you said, super relatable, just lying in the dark, thinking about all your friends, all the changes. And like, also like this, this gives me a little bit of an existentially vibe where like, it can be both really relieving that things change like when you're in a dark period yeah. uh it's like a real nice thing that things change and you can count on that sort of to get you through but it, it can also be like a very very scary thing any i'm i'm a person personally who's just extremely bad at dealing with changes even if even if they're good things it's still just like i don't know there's something like the power of nostalgia or something gets to me so there is some kind of like melancholy involved in thinking about your friends and their changes, even even if it's a really good thing, um, for for me at least, I don't know, I don't know, um, and and maybe there's a little bit of that here. Like she mentions that she's laying in the dark, so it might still be like a dark place that she's in mentally, um, at least to some extent. Yeah, like flip flopping between waffling between like the oh my god things are so cool and good and fantastic and unbelievable. And then stumbling to your bed, to me, it's like I'm stumbling in disbelief of mm -hmm. what's just happened. Like, yeah. Shell shocked by like the, the majesty of all of this. Yeah. Um, and then having a quiet moment to reflect on that would be really overwhelming too. Yeah. Um, and transitions are tricky. Change is hard. Like, and this would be a big one to see your friend. Again, I'm assuming all of this. <laughs> to see your friend go through this incredibly huge thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and how that might change your friendship or how that might 
I don't know, change the community in a sense, like how yeah. it would impact you in the most selfish way, like all of that. Yeah. And we get to this another, just like yet another image of our narrator laying in the dark and instead of sleeping, she's thinking like, yeah, she's such a restless little creature. Great point. Um, the only like theory is too generous of a word for this thought, I guess, that I had about the branches thing is, um, but maybe there could be some sort of in California connection here where we got the image of like her in a forest, I think. Um, mm-hmm. We're talking about like the Tology Wood. Uh, yeah. And later in this song, she references the looking glass too. So I was yes, wondering. I love that you bring up Tology Wood today. Yeah. I was back in it today. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Yeah. So I was thinking like maybe if. The Tology Wood represented this, um, yeah, again, like transition from like home to wherever she was going. It was like in between those two places um, that she's still sort of in that transitionary period. She's not quite home yet, but she's like on her way or something or she's like nearly, I I don't want to put too like literal an interpretation on it, but she's somewhere in that like still uncertain Tology Wood. and I think it's important that she's all alone. So, like, highlighting both the fact that she's not with a partner and also not with a baby. Um, she's all by herself. So, like, that... And she's she's explicitly told us she doesn't want to be alone in, I think, in California, right? I don't want to be alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's doing it. She's, like, in the middle of it. She's doing it. Um, which is both... Uh, I don't want to say like a good thing, but it's like both uh, something that I think is going to make her life better and that she, I think, wants to be doing, at least in some respect, um, and a really hard thing. Yeah, exactly. And that it's not necessarily a clear path either way. Like in the Alice in Wonderland movie, she is walking through, Alice is walking through the woods in the dark and she is kind of deciding which path she wants to take. And she says, it's getting dreadfully dark. Nothing looks familiar. And I love that you brought up the Tolji Wood because it's very much where a narrator is right now. Like nothing nothing is familiar. All these experiences are brand new and to process everything that's going on. But it's also like such an important thing to be able to sit by yourself yes. and think about these things, yes. right? Like, um, and I'm... Like, you know, proud of our narrator for sitting and doing that. Um, Me too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what you said, Sam. That like it is so, even if it's so hard, like we got so many images of our narrator just being like viscerally afraid of being by herself. Yeah. And like she's doing the thing that she was so scared of. Um, Good job, narrator. Yeah, really. <laughs> Yeah, we're proud of you. Yeah. That's hard. It's hard to be by yourself. It's such an important thing to learn, but it's hard. It is hard, but it's so important, especially for like the development of yourself as a person, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Like as, and if that's something that she had lost in the relationship, like even though it's a really painful process, it's important to do. Oh, Okay. Anything else for branches, changes? Friends. No. Friends. I got nothing. Do you? Nope. Okay. That does it for part one of Esme. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back next week with the final part, part two. Um, We have a Patreon you guys should check out. You can find early episode releases there. So the next part of Esme will be up hopefully by the time this episode is released. Um, You can find bonus episodes there. Uh, There's a Facebook group you can check out. It is A Hopeless Endeavor. Joanne needs some podcasts. Sam does a beautiful job running our Instagram, uh, which is A Hopeless Endeavor podcast. You can send us stuff in the dms there um i try to be quick about getting to those we also have an email address if you ever want to 
um, comment about literally anything <laughs> to do with Joanna Newsom, anything we've talked about already or will talk about in the future, um, it is a hopeless endeavor at gmail.com. Um, for reference, we will finish Have One On Me and then we will tackle divers and then skip backwards in time to the milk eyed mender. Um, Just like divers skips back in yeah. time. Well, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, send us your anything there. Yeah. Um, okay, I think that's everything. Is that everything, Sam? That's right. it. That's everything. That's it. Thank you guys. Thank you guys so much. See you later. Bye.